We're going to talk today, this is message five in, in this series, The Jesus Way to Pray. We're going to talk about kingdom come. So let's get into this idea. Let's read this together. Jesus says, I want you to pray and I want you to pray like this. Can you read this with me? Starting verse number nine of Matthew six. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. And when I read that, I, I always want to be mindful that that is a prayer. Now that is a prayer. So let's, let's talk about this. This is the Lord's Prayer. I want these words and these ideas that Jesus talks about. In, in fact, they're, they're not just phrases. They're actually big ideas in Scripture. Okay, Each one of those, we could, we could spend weeks and weeks just going over each little section of that. And it really covers the totality of worship and life, really, in a lot of ways. We're going to get into more of the, the giving and forgiving aspect of it a little bit later. Uh, let, let these words inform and shape your vocabulary and how you think when you pray. Uh, let's talk about this idea. The first request was, hallowed be your name, right? We covered that a little bit. There's a lot of, lots more we could talk about, especially in the Psalms. The psalmist, when they're praying, they're, they're always talking about the name of God. We talked about name is like reputation. They're, they're interested in God having a good reputation among people. So, so the idea of God's name being holy, God's name being loved and cherished and honored that we desire for our Heavenly Father and His name and His reputation to be restored in the minds of people. Amen? Yeah. That's, that's very, very important because, you know, the most important thing we, we all possess is our faith. It's our faith in God. That's the most important thing we've got, you know? So uh, this is what hallowed be the name. I, I would like to review a lot on that, but let's, let's keep going. The second request is what we're going to get into tonight is your kingdom come. Everybody say that with me. Your kingdom come. Now, Notice that the action is your kingdom come, okay? Now, it's not come and get me, it's your kingdom come, okay? We talked a little bit about that last week, and I don't want to, that, that curveball is what y'all wanted to talk about all, all day, uh, but it's your kingdom come. So there's some kind of idea that Jesus wants us to have on our minds all the time. God's ultimate plan is, is really wrapped up in this whole idea. Remember, that it's kind of together. We're separating it for teaching purposes. But your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We talked a little bit a couple weeks ago about on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's a mouthful. You know, think about that. How things in heaven? Well, Jesus said, I want you praying that earth begins to look like heaven. Wow, that's a big deal. Isn't it? So your kingdom come, his kingdom comes where his will's done. And when his will is done, his kingdom comes. It all wraps in together. We're going to talk a little bit about Jesus doing the will of God and what he says about the will of God next week, Lord willing. This idea of God's ultimate plan and desire is to reunite heaven and earth, where he is the center of everything, you know, where he's among his people. You know, if you, if you were to really, if you, if you had a drone back in Moses' day and you could fly over the camp, you know what you would see? The tabernacle was centered right in the middle of the camp. You had this tribe over here, this tribe here, this tribe here, this tribe here, this tribe here. And who was in the center of everything? It was God in his tabernacle because that was his idea. I want to dwell in the midst of my people. And if we were to go back and fast forward all the way to the book of Revelation, that's the whole idea that God is with his people and his people are with him. So this idea of reuniting heaven and earth is a real big deal to God. Okay, uh, so, so bringing the two together 
where we can have continual fellowship with God. That's what life's really all about. To have a world that functions right, and it for, to function right, that's to function in righteousness. A world that's at peace, we know that's not really happening right now, is it? A world that's full of joy. Now, get this. This can only be accomplished if God is king. See, it all went bad when we decided to be our own king, right? It all went bad there. Now, think about this now. God is saying, I, my ultimate plan is that you and I live in a world where there is no sin, no death, no sorrow, no pain, no sickness, no tears, no back aches, no knee aches. That's a good day. Isn't it? That's a good world. Now you think about that. That's the world that God says, I am working towards making this. And that, that's not just my verbiage. Anybody know where I pulled that out of? I pulled that straight out of Revelation chapter 21. It said when God's ultimate plan is completed, when Christ conquers all, when God's ultimate plan is over, that's what the world will look like. It'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And you think about it, that's what God's working towards. So what I'm suggesting to you when Jesus says, I want you to pray that God's kingdom come, that's what he's wanting in our imagination. That's a big deal. That's hope. That's hope, right? So, so now we are to have hope that that kind of world is possible when Jesus rules and reigns. That Jesus did something incredible through the cross and through his resurrection that made that kind of world a possibility. Now, it's not going to find its fruition until Jesus returns, okay? He's going, but we can start seeing outbreaks of his kingdom and, and, and blessings of his kingdom. We can start seeing those kind of things even in our day and age, okay? Even in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own families and communities. And we work towards this end, okay? So this hope, hope's important, isn't it? So this, this kind of world is to shape our imagination. Think about how good it's going to be. I don't, I don't, have, you ever, have you ever met somebody who got so sick and they were so ready to go that they were thinking about that world like that. I can't wait to be there where there's no sickness and no pain and no, you know? We've got a lot of songs written about that. We need to keep singing them. You know, that's important. That's part of our hope. And that hope informs our faith. And that faith helps us stay in, in the kingdom building project that God's got going on even now. That, the project's already started. The project started a long time ago when he talked to a man named Abraham. It started a long time ago. This kingdom building project. And then it, and it found a, a, a climactic point through Jesus. And Jesus is bringing all that he had accomplished on the cross. He said, I want you to experience all this in your life. This is God's will. This is God's plan. So this kingdom project is, is fueled by the same kind of love that Jesus had for people. Self-giving, self-sacrifice, self-sacrificing love. That's what fuels this kingdom. That's what really makes this kingdom work. You know, Jesus was amazing. I mean, people couldn't, they, I mean, we talked about this, I think, a, a week or so ago, that they couldn't believe he was that good. They couldn't believe that God would be that good, especially certain kinds of people. And Jesus brought a kind of love and expression of the love of God that the world had never known, never seen. And there's a whole lot of people in our lives that have never seen it either. Okay? So this kingdom's fueled by this kind of love that motivated Jesus to overcome. Uh, to break it down, we could say it's the kind of love that, 
that we learn to love God, we learn to love our neighbor. That's the two greatest commandments, right? We learn to love one another. Jesus kind of took it up a notch. He said, I want you to learn not to just love your neighbor. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. So that's, that's up a notch from the Good Samaritan, isn't it? That's just up a little bit. That, that we're to love each other the way Jesus has loved us. And then, then he throws another deal about love in here. That this kingdom is fueled and built on the idea of loving your enemies. That's crazy. I ain't got that one down yet. <laughs> Sometimes we have a hard time loving those that live with us. <laughs> you know? Amen. But... but, but why, why, why are we to love our enemies? That's, that's the way the kingdom comes. That's the way the kingdom comes. I mean, Jesus is hanging on the cross, and, and his enemies, he looks at them and says, Father, forgive them. That, that's, that's a different kind of love, isn't it? That, that's something that's, that the world's never seen, really. Hmm. So this is the plan of God, that, that his kingdom project gets some forward progress through our lives and our communities. All right. Now, here's a tension. The tension of the kingdom now and not yet, okay? How much of this can we see? I think we see a lot more than we are if we really get involved in this kingdom project. Now, God is the sovereign king, right? He is the sovereign king. Nobody would dispute that, right? But let me, let me throw this in there. God is king. He is the sovereign king, but not all of his creation believes or acknowledges or submits to that idea. Isn't that true? I mean, there's parts of us that's not submitted yet, even, even us, you know. So you know anybody that's in rebellion against God? Well, he is sovereign king, but he's not in reality over their lives. Now, he is in the big picture of things. Don't get me wrong. He's not stepping off the throne for you, me, or nobody else. But we're talking about us coming into this union and fellowship with God to where we acknowledge his lordship and his kingship over our lives. Okay, That's what salvation is about. Salvation comes when you come underneath the rule of the king. That's when salvation comes because the king's the one that gives you salvation. So if we lived in a, in a monarch, we'd understand that, that the king is the one that provides you all the protection. He provides the blessing. He provides everything that you need for your life and happiness. That's what kings do. That's what they're supposed to do. Okay. When we come underneath God, he takes care of us. Now, the fall in Genesis 3 was not just a decision to eat an apple off of a tree or a piece of fruit off of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't just a decision. God took it as mutiny. You know what mutiny is? If we were on a, a pirate ship and, and we got tired of the captain, what, what would we do? We'd, we'd all get down in the galley and we'd talk about it and we'd talk about how we were going to do what? Throw them overboard, Throw them overboard or, or overrule the, the, the captain, right? That's the way God took the whole idea of what happened in the story in Genesis chapter 3. He took it as not a decision, but he took it as mutiny, and that's what it was. Okay? That's when you and I decided we didn't want God to be king. We wanted to make our own decisions. We wanted to be independent. We wanted to be our own king. And most of humanity lives like that even today. Most humanity is still in Genesis chapter 3. Right? Me and you not too far from it. You know what I'm talking about? So... Humanity is not always willing to accept his kingship. There's a whole angelic world the scripture talks about uh, that is warring against God. Jesus confronts them time and time again, the demonic realm. So not everybody recognizes God as sovereign, okay? 
And there are systems in this world that seem to be at war with God. You, you recognize that? I mean, our, our governmental system seems to be, even, even here in America, right now, seems to be at war with God. You recognize that? I mean, they're not even, they're, they're not even just wanting to, to take us in a new direction. They're wanting to wipe out even our history that's absolutely written in stone. It, it's, they're at war with God. That's what the problem is. Okay. Now think about our, uh, our, the political systems, even the education system. The systems of this world are fighting against this idea that we don't want God to rule over us. They may not say it in those terms, but that's the idea. Okay. I mean, education system right now, anything holy, Bible-related, anything of that nature, you, you see what's happening. And thank God we've got some good teachers that are still, they still got a foothold in there, and they're, they're, they're helping our kids and being a blessing, or else the whole system would be in some serious trouble. It's headed that way already. You know that. Now here in South Alabama, we've got, we're, we're, we've got a little bit better hold on it. But we go just, just a few miles north. <laughs> just a few miles. It's, it's getting rough here now because it's, it's starting to become like federal law and things of that nature. But you go, you think about above the Mason-Dixon line, what's happening? Can we still say that Mason-Dixon line? Can we still say that? <laughs> Is it still there? <laughs> It's, it's, it's at war. It's at war against God. Uh, the, the religious system oftentimes is at war against God. Look at all the things that's happening, a lot of the mainline denominations and stuff like that, where the Bible's just absolutely just another source. It's no longer the Word of God. God it, it's no longer, let me say it like this, say it with our subject, it's no longer the Word of the King. It's something that you and I can figure out and see we can eat of this Word and we'll tell you what it means. You know, that kind of thing. Same thing eating from that tree again. Same idea, okay? You, you get the point, okay? You get the point. Not everybody recognizes that God is sovereign king. And now, just bring it personal. Does, does he rule over every part of us as believers? Think about that. What about my attitude and thoughts? Is God is ruling over all that? We got this thing called the flesh that's in us that really kind of wants its own way, doesn't it? Wants to get off track if you ain't careful. What, what about... Our finances, how, how are you doing in your finances? Is, is God king in your finances? We can move on right now, can't we? <laughs> now you think about that, you know? Is God king over your time and your talent and your treasure? You know, here's a good start to start making God king. I mean, obviously confess Jesus as Lord, but, but once you get to that point, even I'm talking about us as believers, once you get to that point where you confess Jesus as Lord, is he really Lord? Because... It's not about you saying some words. It's about you living a certain kind of life. It's about all of us doing that. So making God king, how about giving God the first 10% of every dollar? That's a good start over your finances. That's a starting point, actually, in the scripture. That's not a finishing point. That's a starting point. What about the first day of every week? Give him that. See, when we, when we give God the first day of every week, and we're not being legalistic about it, we're proclaiming something to the world that our lives are different. We've got a different king than everybody else. And when we come together and worship together, and I know some of you have to work and things like that. I'm, don't, don't take no stones on that now. No condemnation on that deal. But the idea is, is that I give God the first day of every week to establish the fact that he's king over my life. He's my sovereign, you know. I, I give God the first moments of every day. Why? Because I, I feel better when, no, I'm, I'm saying, Lord, you're king over my day. 
I give him the first consideration in my decisions. That's what prayer is really about in a lot of ways. I give him the first consideration. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. See, that's, that's, he's being my king. Okay? Because we've all been guilty of calling Jesus Lord, then going about our own business. We, we all deal with that. You know? So the struggle's real, ain't it? As my, my, my daughter would say, Lily would say that. The struggle is real, daddy. It is, the struggle is real. It's real in us. So that's why Jesus is saying to us, I want you to pray and I want this to be on your lips, in your mind, in your consciousness, on everything you do. Your kingdom come. And a good place for that to start is in me. Your kingdom come because we've all got those unsurrendered parts of our life that God needs to get in there and put his finger right in the middle of that and say, now, now, come on, let's get this straight. See what I'm talking about? And then we start working on the other things as well. Your kingdom coming to all these other areas. Now let, let me get some scripture on here. And let's talk about this idea of God, God ruling and reigning. Because that's what the idea of kingdom come. We want your rule to come. Because we just know that things are better when you're in charge. Your kingdom come. Now this has got a lot of detail in it. But, but stick with me here. Let's, let's see if we can unpack some of this. This is 1 Corinthians 15. Let's pick it up right in the middle of the thought here. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first fruits, which means the other fruits are going to come behind him, right? <laughs> All of us are believers. He's the first one. So what happened with Jesus in the resurrection is going to come with everybody that believes in him. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ, who belong to Christ at his coming. Then comes the end. Now we talk about that ultimate plan again. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. Who's the he right here? When he, when he, who's the he? It's Christ, it's Jesus, right? When Jesus delivers the kingdom, to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. That day's coming where God will assert himself through Christ and said, this is the real king. We, we've got another scripture. We're not going to read that one, but it says there will come a day that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Remember that one? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, what does that mean? Now, does that mean God's going to knock everybody in the back of the head and say, you bow to me? No, there's going to come a point in human history to where everybody looks upon Jesus and they say, you are the only one who is worthy to rule over all of this. That's going to happen in everybody's life. I don't care if you're born in the Middle East. I don't care if you're born in Portugal. I don't care if you're born in Honduras. I don't care if you're born in the United States. That's going to happen over every person that's ever been created. Every need, every tongue. is going to recognize that Jesus actually is Lord. He's King. Okay. And then Jesus... <laughs> even in that country of Washington, D.C. up there. Verse 25, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Now, that's where we're at right now. We're living in this idea until he puts all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. I can't wait on that day. I hate death. It's awful. Somebody's vibrant and alive one minute and gone the next. It's an enemy. It's an enemy. 
Now, God turns that death for a believer into a blessing, but death in the Bible is always seen as an enemy. And that will be done away with. I'm glad. The last one. Now, how is this going to be done in verse 24 and 25 when he puts an end to all rule and power and authority and he must reign till he's put all enemies under his feet? How is that going to be done? Huh. That's an interesting question, and there's not a real easy answer on that. But the cross shows us the way of Jesus. The kind of love that conquers all. Is he just going to put his foot on the, the enemy's necks and crush them? Well, he certainly could if he wants to. I got a feeling that he's going to do it a different way. Jesus always got a different way. See, that's how kings of the world rule. Jesus is going to put all enemies under his feet in a different kind of way. And I don't even have all the answers to that. I just know it's going to be a different kind of way. Because love's his way. Now, same idea right here in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, 19. And what is the, we're picking up right behind that prayer right there, okay? This is the last part of that prayer we, we prayed when we did our 21 days of prayer. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power, talking about Jesus' power, toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. There's something powerful that happened at the resurrection now. It wasn't just about a man raising on the third day. It was about a king coming to his power. And something powerful happened on that day when he raised him from the dead. And then he seated him. We see him ascending into heaven. He seated him, seated Jesus at, the, at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Okay, That's some of that stuff that's against him right there. He seated him high, high above it. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, there's a whole lot right there. There's a lot of theology packed in those few little verses right there, okay? Let me just, for our purposes, we're talking about kingdom come now, okay? Kingdom come. He put him far above all principalities and powers, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head of all things to the church. Now, what I want you to see, Jesus is teaching us to pray into this idea that we, the church, are involved in this putting all things under his feet. We are the expression of him that feels all in all. That's heavy. That's big. That's wild. And we're thinking, we're just trying to make it. God said, now I've got a plan for your life, for our lives as the church of Jesus Christ. I've got a plan for all of us that I want to use you in this kingdom coming project. That it's not just about us barely getting by and barely making it to church and barely being able to put, you know, worship and put everything together and get the kids in the car and all that kind of thing. Hey, God bless you and all of that. But it's not just about that. We are literally involved with the king as his body on the earth to fulfill all in all, to see that his kingdom comes and that, and that his name is honored and everybody knows that he is the true king. That's the project we're involved in. I'm saying, I guess that's, that's the project we should be involved in. We're directly involved in this kingdom coming project. I wonder why Jesus wants us praying like this. 
He wants us praying like this because he knows that your actions will follow your faith. Now, this kingdom coming project, it can be just as practical as anything. You know what? If somebody is hungry, how does the kingdom come to them? Biscuits and gravy, doesn't it? If somebody needs clothing and they're in need, Jesus said, what, do what? Take care of them. Take care of them. Clothe them. Feed them. Give them something to drink. You know, I'm, so I'm talking about it's, it's even in the littlest of things that, that we need to be mindful about this kingdom coming project. We're, we're part of that. Okay? And we do it, and we don't just do it in, in our name. We do it in his name. And his kingdom comes. Just some thoughts. Okay, so what would it look like if God's kingdom came and his will was done in our community, in our nation? I've asked you this a couple times. What would it look like if God's kingdom came in, in your family, into your marriage, into your children's lives, your teenagers? Look like a whole different person, wouldn't it? <laughs> into your finances, into your mind, into your body, even into our church, communities. Now, I don't have time to, to unpack all the, what, what all this means. Jesus brings the kingdom when he comes. In fact, that was his message, right? But there's a whole brand new expression of the kingdom now. I, I'm coming. I, I'm preaching to you that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is right here with you now. So when Jesus went about, he, see this idea of joining heaven and earth? When Jesus came about, this, is, this was earth. It's all black. It's got sin, death, and chaos, and the curse all in it. And Jesus brings a little bit of heaven to earth when he comes. So wherever he found sin, how did he bring the kingdom? Well, he brought forgiveness. Okay. Whenever he saw death, I mean, literally, Jesus, he, he was, you wanted him to come to your funeral, right? He always interrupted the funeral. You know what our boy said? You know what, what, do they want, what do you want him to say over you at your funeral? And the old boy said, I want him to say, he's moving. Jesus interrupted all the funerals he went to because he just couldn't stand death. And it was an enemy and he wanted to bring life. So he, he resurrected a lot of people. Whenever there was chaos, he brought order. Even chaos in the minds of the people and he taught them. Taught them the way of the kingdom when they didn't understand. Wherever the curse, there was blessing. Wherever there was sickness. Jesus was healing a lot of people. I mean, a ton. The kingdom was breaking in. Heaven was breaking in. That joining heaven and earth was happening through Jesus. We continue that today. Now, I want to go through this in our last few minutes together. Go to Acts 19 if you've got that. We're going to just kind of read through a case study, okay? We're going to read through Acts 19, okay? We're going to see how the kingdom comes to Ephesus. Ephesus is, is a, a, a city in Turkey. It's still there today, okay? Ephesus, if you, if you ever get a chance to do any kind of touring through the Holy Land or, or anything like that or, or into Turkey... Um, Ephesus is a really big tourist site. There's a lot of Roman ruins. There's a lot of ideas. Paul was in Ephesus. Uh, that's what we're going to see right here. John was in Ephesus. It's believed that, that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and John lived in Ephesus up until the time of her death. So all, all this Ephesus is a big deal in the Bible. Okay, we've, we've got a letter to the Ephesus people. What's that called? It's Ephesians. It's written to them. Okay, it's, it's an amazing place. Uh, Let's start reading in verse number one. Let's see how the kingdom comes to Ephesus. Now, it's a pagan city. It's a pagan place. Now, before Paul gets there, it's pagan to the bone. The, the great temple of Artemis is there, or, or the, the goddess Diana also is what, it's called, what she's called. 
Uh, there's all kinds of stuff there. I mean, the, the Temple of Artemis was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was an amazing place. Now, there's no ruins of that. We just, we just know where the footprint is. But it's, it was an amazing city, but it was pagan to the bone. Okay. Now, Paul comes to them to bring the kingdom. Now, look what happens. And it happened while Apollos, who's that great preacher, Apollos, was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? And so they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, this next statement is, now the men were about 12 in all. What's that sound like? Who's that sound like? Jesus and the disciples. Paul is actually following a pattern of Jesus, and, and it, it's really neat that it happens. So the Holy Spirit comes upon these guys. They speak in tongues, and they prophesy. It's an amazing experience. You, start, you see the kingdom starting to come to Ephesus? Right there, it's an amazing experience starting to happen. This is just the beginning. These guys are just the seed of it all. It's just starting. Verse 8, and he, Paul, went into the synagogue. What's happening in the synagogue? Who's, who's at the synagogue? The Hebrews, right? The Jewish people, they're at the synagogue. So Paul goes to the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months. That's a long sermon. Y'all think I'm long. <laughs> <laughs> Reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So he was, he was preaching in the synagogue for a while, okay? And he, he would go to Sabbath worship on Saturdays. But, but synagogue also can have worship times all throughout the week if they get it scheduled and all that kind of thing. So he was preaching for three months, all this stuff. They got tired of it. So he goes and rents a building down the street. They believe they found that archaeologically. They, they believe they found a place that's called the School of Tyrannus right there on the main street. And he goes and rents out this building, and he says, I'll, I'll just take church over there. Okay, we see Paul doing that a lot, actually, different places. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Okay? That's a pretty good campaign, right? All who were in that region, Asia, right there in that Roman province of Asia, in that eastern side of Turkey, excuse me, it's western side of Turkey, excuse me. They heard the word of the Lord, okay? Now, let's get, now see what God's doing. Now, the kingdom's breaking through. You see it breaking through. How long, how long did it happen? Did it happen overnight? We got, a, we got one, three months in one spot, and how long in the other spot? Two years. So you got a man that's sowing a lot of seed, plowing up a lot of ground, doing a lot of stuff over a two-year period, okay? So it doesn't happen overnight, but it does happen. Look what happens. The kingdom starts breaking through in, in powerful ways. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. That, that's pretty... Yeah, that's, that's, that's a pretty good sweat rag right there. <laughs> 
Okay? And that's very unusual. In fact, the Bible even says that that's unusual. We've never seen anything like that before. Okay? You got Peter's shadow in one spot healing people, and now you got Paul's work clothes. He takes them, cuts them up in bits and pieces. I don't know how the Holy Spirit told him to do that. Same on some of these folks that try to copy it and say your prayer clause. Same on that kind of mess. You know what I'm talking about? That, that's, this is where they think they get that kind of stuff. But anyway, that's, that's between them and the Lord. Just don't, just don't send them no money. Please. Brought sick people and the diseases left them. Cast out demons out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jew, Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. They kind of wanted to get in on the action. You know, they thought it was pretty cool what was happening. All right, now this is not, this, this is going to get kind of comical and sad all at the same time. And the evil spirit answered to these seven sons of Siva and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped upon them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. He just whooped them. That's all, they can, that's all you can say. Just stripped them down, ran them out of town. Okay? And this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Now, this is a lot happening in two years' period. The kingdom's breaking. The kingdom's coming. See it? See what I'm talking about? Now, look what happens next. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. The kingdom's definitely coming. Hearts breaking before God. Repentance is happening. Let's look at this. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them in a total 50,000 pieces of silver. I don't have the total of that, what that is in front of me, but that's a lot of money. You see what? They're forsaking their old kings and coming underneath King Jesus. Do you see what's happening? And they made a big old bonfire in the middle of the city. Can you see them coming? I mean, can you say, I mean, this, this, if, if I could take you to Ephesus, I'd love to take you there and teach you this right here and point to all these places where they were probably coming out of. All these pagan temples to all these uh, Greco-Roman gods and all this kind of stuff. And they're standing there with a bonfire and these witches and warlocks and pagan people and, and, and prostit temple prostitutes and all these kind of people are coming out and they're saying, we're done with all this stuff. We want what you got. The kingdom is coming. And it's such a, such a turn in their lives that their valuables that they had, that they worshiped their false gods with, they brought them, piled them up. He got some good old lighter fluid, threw it on there. Boom, bonfire. Thank you, Jesus. This is a good day for Paul, I can promise you that. It's a good day. Reminds me of the time when we, we really had kind of an outbreak of a revival in, in the youth group that, that uh, I was a part of growing up to where we, we had a big bonfire like that. Just revival broke out and we just... Basically, spontaneously went to our cars and got stuff and all this stuff. And there goes my Metallica CD right there. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. It was on a lot smaller scale than this, but it's powerful moments for us too. Now, the kingdom's coming. The kingdom's coming. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You see, this is the project that we are to be involved in. This kind of, now, we can't make people 
turn. We can proclaim the message and ask God to bring his kingdom, and it happens. And somehow or another, he backs us up. I don't know. When, when we have faith and, and the understanding of what we're doing and, and the authority of his name, he backs up his people and he brings his kingdom, and people's lives are changed for not just the day, but forever. Eternity. Because see, this kingdom project is not about just our lives. It's going to extend all the way into forever. How long is forever? Well, it's a mighty long time, the boy said. <laughs> now, but when the kingdom comes, it displaces the old kingdom and the old kings. And there's always a clash. There's always a war. So this revival got interrupted. Somebody blew a whistle and said, everybody to the amphitheater, which it'll seat several thousand people, that amphitheater. Everybody coming to the amphitheater, and they literally had a riot to get Paul and all his buddies out of town. Why? Because when the kingdom comes, the other kingdom's not just going to sit by now. There's going to be a clash. That's part of what that warfare is about in Ephesians 6. Remember all that about putting on the armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, heaven of salvation, you know, feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace, take on the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of the Lord. Why? Because we're fighting against the principalities and powers who have the territory and we're to bring the kingdom. So he paints this picture of soldiers and at war going and displacing that other kingdom. That's his kingdom come. Now, we don't fight like the soldiers of this world. We fight a little bit different. Love and the Word of God is our main weapon. The sword of the Spirit. I think that's about all we got time for. It's about time to go. Yes, sir. Here we go. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. No, go ahead. It's good. It's all good. Why isn't this happening? You know, why isn't the things that call it? Why do you think that it's not happening today? That's a really good question. It deserves a lot of our... That's a really good question. It deserves a lot of attention, actually. You know, Gideon had the same question. Remember Gideon? Remember that? And an uh, angel walked up on him, scared him to death. <laughs> he was hiding, and, you know, angel walked up on him while he's hiding. <laughs> that ain't a good day. He was <laughs> Whoa! Uh, and, and the angel says, you mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. He said, if the Lord is with us, then where are all these miracles that our fathers talked about? I think that's why God chose him. He had a boldness about him. He said, well, it don't seem right. Something ain't right about this. So that's a very valid question. I, I, I think all of us need to search our heart on why that is the case. You know? There's not an easy answer to it, but there is an answer to that question. You could chalk it up and say, well, it must just be God's will. No, no, you look in the scripture, you'll find his will. He doesn't want any to perish. We've got a lot of apathy and a lot of lethargy in the church, a lot of compromise, a lot of sin. And until we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, we can't expect him to back us up when we go into fight. You know, so there's, there's a big deal with that. And that's not to throw rocks, that's just facts. You know? So I think... We start here so that we can go out there, you know. So your kingdom come, Lord, to me. Help me. You know where you're struggling? You know where that needs to happen in a lot of ways?
And then we ask him to help us reach out and bring his kingdom in all different kinds of ways. Now, here's the deal. Don't wait until you get all your stuff together to begin to see that happening out there. If you do that, you're locked up for life with you. There's something about you will see the kingdom coming more in your life when you get involved in other people's lives and start helping them. Ministry is a real big key to your own personal, you know, your own personal spiritual health. I don't, I don't know. That's a really good question, a really big question, and one we need to wrestle with. That's, that's a really good question. I mean, when I see things happening, you can explain it away and theologize it and say, well, it's just not the day and age of miracles. We're not talking about what day and age it is. Nobody ever said anything in the day and age. The Bible doesn't talk like that. The Bible talks about a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. My personal feelings are that God wants to do more than what we're seeing. And we need to find out where the hindrance... Well, we talked about some of that Sunday. You know, when things get off track and, and, and y'all are not right and, and the world's not right around you, the communities are falling apart and judgment's coming. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. So Now, that's not a formula, but that's, that's a good idea to reach into all of that. You know? Hey, we're all in this together. We're, we're in the same fight. And our enemy's not each other. We got an enemy, but it's not each other. So let's pull together and, and let's, let's begin to reach into this idea. Your kingdom come. I mean, Jesus, this is not Ron talking now. This is Jesus. <laughs> This is how I want you to pray. I want you to live with the idea and understanding that God wants to bring his kingdom. Hmm. And don't give up the fight. Is it going to be easy? Well, look at Paul. I mean, three months, he's making some headway. And all those people in that synagogue got mad and decided they'd vote in a new pastor. <laughs> that happens in church world, don't it? <laughs> But I would say with the Pauls of life, I wouldn't stay at the synagogue where everybody's mad. I'd go with the Pauls of life because the kingdom went with him down the street. <laughs> then it took two years. Then stuff started happening. A lot of opposition initially. A lot of misunderstanding. A lot of teaching. A lot of things had to be worked out in people's minds and thoughts and understanding. Get their faith to where they could begin to prepare for what God was going to do. Took a little bit of time, you know. A lot of ground to plow. A lot of seed to plant. A lot of seed to water. A lot of weeds to pull. You know what I'm talking about? But then harvest time came. So we don't give up while we're doing good. In due time, we know if we do the right thing, we will reap. Amen. Your kingdom come. Come on, let's pray that. Jesus, thank you so much for taking the time to help us understand. You, you could have just left us to ourselves, we certainly deserve that. But instead, you, you invited us into a project that you are building yourself. You invited us into this project of kingdom building. So Lord, we, we ask you to help us. Our thoughts are running towards what's going on, how is this going to happen, how am I a part of it, what needs to happen in my life. And Lord, sometimes it can all be overwhelming. So we just ask that the peace of God would cover us and it would cover the seed that's in our hearts to help us to understand that we are to be involved. And Lord, by your spirit, you would help us and show us the definite areas in our life 
where things need to be worked out. Bring it underneath your authority. The sins we may need to confess to bring it under your grace and your mercy. Help us, Lord. Help us. We want to see your kingdom come into our lives like never before. And Lord, we want to see your kingdom come into our communities. Choctaw County, Washington County, all these counties around here, Lord, surrounding Alabama and all the southeast, Lord, and all over our country and all over the world from here. We want to see your kingdom come in fresh new ways where, where it can look something like what's happening in Ephesus, Lord. We want to be a part of something like that. I, I want to be a part. Before I lay my head to rest, I want to be a part of something like that, Lord. And I pray you would do it here. Do it here. Your kingdom come to Gilbert Town, right here on this dirt, right here. Your kingdom come into our hearts. And let us see a move of your spirit, Lord, that would blow all of us away. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for inviting us in so that one day you'll be able to look at us and say, you did a good job right there. Help us, Lord. In the name of the King, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. amen.